last two weeks, they've actually had like fun, different intros. I don't know if we can. Nah, I can't think of anything right now. No. I mean, we had the the Liverpudlian accents, then we had Stinky Whistle Teats. I mean, we could drag the intro out for like a minute, the way Marvel always does. Oh yeah. I don't even remember how the music goes. Whatever. Yeah. It's not memorable music either. It's it's, no, it's, it's a bad intro. Good lord. Anyway. Yeah. It kept getting longer and longer and longer. Until there was no intro at all when they did Infinity War, which was great. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just jump right in. There's our new and different intro right there. We just bitched about Marvel intros. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that'd be hilarious if we just start the show that way right? <laughs> talking about yeah. what our intro is gonna be right we've reached the point in our show where we're actually critiquing our own intros yeah <laughs> yeah we're like meta on top of meta yeah okay all right uh welcome to two broke nerds two friends talking about whatever they want because what else are we going to do during a pandemic i'm alec kerr and i'm a film geek I'm Brian McElhaney, and I'm a music geek. And this isn't the first time we've talked about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think it'll be the last time we'll talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But it's the first time we've dedicated a whole episode to it. Yes. It probably won't be the last time we dedicate a whole episode to it, because it's massive. And there's a lot yeah. to talk about. Yeah, and it's, it's good fun. But what we kind of uh, settled on as a first like introduction into really diving into the MCU was to talk about self-contained films versus the serialization of the story. Right. Which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I think, I think people seem to just think it just works because Endgame came out and it was a great conclusion to all this stuff. And it was. But, I mean... I want to say more often than not, it doesn't work. I would say that within the Iron Man trilogy, you have two examples of it working and not working. Um, Iron Man 2 does have several scenes that are kind of seeding the, the forming of the Avengers, and they bring the movie to a complete halt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... Iron Man 3 does some really interesting character development with Tony Stark dealing with PTSD from the aftermath of the events in Avengers. And that PTSD moving forward becomes a major driving plot point for the building of Tony Stark's character, as well as things that will eventually lead to Infinity War. Right. But it is very dependent on Avengers. I was looking at it, and the only two sequels that make sense as sequels to their movie without anything else being involved are Iron Man 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, because they're direct sequels to their previous movies. Like, the, the Iron Man trilogy as a whole doesn't make sense unless you put the first Avengers film in there. Captain America trilogy really does not make sense as a whole unless you throw in some Avengers movies and stuff. It's weird. The MCU is never going to have a trilogy like the Dark Knight trilogy or like Star Wars or, or any trilogy that makes sense as a story beginning to end part one, two, three, because of these massive team ups that happen. And it's not like a comic book where they can just do these and then forget about them in the serialized stories, in the, in the, the solo stories. 
like they have to reference them because it's ju- that's just kind of the I feel like it's just kind of the nature of the medium. You can't have a satisfying Avengers story the the way the first Avengers film was such a satisfying story without having character development in that story. And then you can't then break off into solo movies and ignore that character development because it just it cheapens that film and then it cheapens this the film that's being made. So that's a little frustrating, I think, especially for people who are fans of certain characters and not other characters. I think the film that has the biggest problem with this, and we disagree on this a lot, is Captain America Civil War. It's functionally not a Captain America movie. You can't go into Infinity War and not see Captain America Civil War. Like, it, it just it can't work that way. And I think there were a lot of people that did do that and then were just completely confused in Infinity War because it's like they start off that movie with the Avengers broken up. And it's like, why are they broken up? If yeah. you didn't watch Civil War, you, you don't know. Um, but it was advertised as a Captain America movie. And let's face it, Captain America is pretty damn boring. I mean, they did a good job with him in the movies and making him not boring. But as far as Avengers go, he's probably like last on my list of like wanting to go see a solo film about him until, you know, the movies came out and they were actually really good. But just on face value, it's, you know, it's another Boy Scout character. And I will give the MCU a lot of credit in making Captain America way more interesting than just a Boy Scout character and way more interesting than like, I suppose the DC equivalent in terms of the Boy Scout is Superman, although they're not. But by making him have this conflict of of morality and trying to come to terms with the fact that he was a soldier who always followed the orders and now slowly transitioning into somebody who doesn't necessarily follow orders and tries to just follow his own heart and do what he believes is right. That is a very interesting conflict and that makes the character compelling. Right. Yeah. I mean, he has a, he has a pretty great arc in the MCU and it definitely made me more of a, I don't want to say Captain America fan, fan of this version of Captain America. I still haven't read a Captain America comic. It hasn't inspired me to read a Captain America comic. But I, I, guess, I, I guess I'm just annoyed that the Avengers hijacked his trilogy. Because, you know, he was... I think it was setting up to be probably the best trilogy in the MCU. It might still be, because all those movies are pretty sound. But it's, it's just, by the third movie, it's too much. It's way too much. It's a convoluted plot. The character development is pretty great in it. But it's just too much. It's just... Someone tacked an Avengers movie onto this Captain America movie, and it, it really should have just been a Captain America movie. And, and the, the, the seeds of it are in there. But the second you throw Tony Stark into it, and the second you throw Robert Downey Jr. into it, it's not a Captain America movie anymore. And, yeah, like, like you said, I, I like Civil War quite a bit, and I think it does work dramatically and emotionally. But you are right, it is overly cluttered. I know we've talked about the saving grace for you in that film is Black Panther and Spider-Man. But as good as those Spider-Man scenes are, and as well-written, as well-acted as they are, you can pull them out of that movie, and it doesn't affect the movie at all. Right. Yeah, you can. You can't really pull the Avengers and that whole conflict out of it, because that kind of is the movie. Right. Um, I think Black Panther is put in there a lot stronger, and his presence is justified, And it feeds into this story of 
how revenge is a poison and that it can corrode you from the inside. Sure. I think it really just comes down to like, you know, the, the, the mundanity of contracts and <laughs> actors and, you know, it's no one was going to sign on for an extra Avengers movie, but they needed an extra Avengers movie. So they just tacked it into Captain America. It's as mundane and as simple and as stupid as that. And there really should have been another Captain America movie leading into Civil War. And you see this a lot in the MCU. Like now they're, uh, you know, the next movie on the slate, whenever there's movies again, is Black Widow. And this is a movie that, I mean, even as set up should have happened between Civil War and Infinity War. That's when they're saying it's supposed to take place. That's when it should have happened. But I mean, looking at it from the standpoint of that character, she should have had her movie like after Iron Man 2 or after uh, Winter Soldier or actually after both of those movies, she should have had a movie. Winter Soldier sets her up great for a solo movie. Like that's like, wow. Okay, now give us that movie. Yeah, And I don't know why the, the MCU was so, I guess I'll use the word reluctant to have a female led superhero film for so long it was entirely ike perlmutter it was it, if you read about it it was this guy who was in charge saying no and uh, i mean that's why we didn't get black panther for so long that's why we didn't get captain marvel for so long that's why we're still waiting for a black widow movie because you had one guy up there saying no i'm a i'm a misogynistic asshole i think the mcu was at risk of uh tanking in phase two i thought phase two was damn sight weaker than phase one with the exceptions of like winter soldier and guardians of the galaxy like it just it start the scenes started showing i think they had a hard time moving from the avengers into other solo flicks yeah like just, it was weird by the time civil war was out and by the time doctor strange came out which were both in my opinion pretty middling I was about done. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Ragnarok completely 180'd me, and then I saw Homecoming later, and then I was fully on board. But without those three movies in 2017, I probably would have jumped off. And that was the thing. They had a hell of a streak with those films, because then you also throw in Black Panther in there. So leading up to Infinity War, they were knocking them out of the park. And it's, it's telling, because I believe that is when Kevin Feige took complete control over and that's when all of a sudden they started taking, you know, I don't see them as risk. You don't see them as risk, but the idea that having black Panther or captain Marvel, for whatever reason, those were seen as risks. And so once Kevin Feige like got full control, he started making these films, the films they should have been making from the beginning. Right. To me, the, the five best MCU films, they're still in my top five in whatever order, are those from Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War. Those are my top five. Rearrange the order a little bit, but that's my top five. And that's where I think they peaked. And yeah, I agree absolutely, because Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite film. And that's not to say that I don't love a lot of other films, but Thor Ragnarok, it, it's very easy to kind of just dismiss it as, oh, well, it's just the fun one. But it does so good at setting up the arc that Thor winds up having in Infinity War and setting him up as this tragic figure. And you don't really see it while you're watching Thor Ragnarok. But if you cut through all the comedy in that, 
it is structurally a tragedy. Right. Yeah, it's just a tragedy to be laughing right through. But yeah, it's it's definitely a tragedy, and it, it feeds into, like you said, the journey that he takes on Infinity War into Endgame. That was pretty well realized. And also Taika Waititi tried to do the same with Hulk. He tried to set him up for an arc, too. And it's all it's there in Ragnarok. It's not there in Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. Uh, and I think Thor Ragnarok is how you do both a great standalone film, because you can absolutely watch that as a standalone film, and it works. Mm-hmm. But it also is doing a really good job at furthering the serialized story in ways that are really interesting. Right. Yeah, for sure. I have to say a little more about Hulk, because he's he might be my favorite. Uh, I mean, Spider-Man's always going to be my favorite, but Hulk is probably my favorite. He's probably the one I relate to the most. The Russo brothers seem to do really, really well at telling the stories of certain characters. And then there's certain characters they just don't give a shit about. And it shows. It's there on the screen. And, and Hulk was one of those where it was just kind of like, well... We have to have the Hulk in it because he's an Avenger. That's basically what I feel when I watch him in those movies. And it starts off okay in Infinity War, but then it just never goes anywhere. And and the same thing happens in Endgame. They start him somewhere, and then he just never goes anywhere. I thought what they were doing with Hulk in Infinity War was really interesting. This idea that Hulk doesn't want to come out, and that he's not going to play ball, and he's not going to just come out on command whenever Bruce Banner wants him, but they didn't really pay it off in Endgame. Okay, yes, we get Professor Hulk in Endgame, but it would have been nice to have one scene, even if it was only like five minutes long, just kind of showing that transition. Right. I just think any character development that they wanted to have for Hulk or that was supposed to happen for Hulk just happens off screen. So he's static every time he's on screen in those two movies. There's really nothing happening. And and with the stuff in Infinity War, yeah, it's good, but it needs more. There needs to be some kind of context there because there isn't any. It's just, oh, Hulk doesn't want to come out. And then you get like thousands of fan theories on why Hulk doesn't want to come out. And no one really knows. You're, like You can speculate why he want to come out. There's like a million reasons why he could have not wanted to come out, but they don't, they don't give you anything. There's, there's really nothing there. And in that way, you know, it's like, whatever, a lot of people are shitting on Joss Whedon right now, but he actually got the character of Hulk and Bruce Banner and that kind of dichotomy. And he's lying like, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. That That's still, it's like, you know, goosebumps every time. Is that's it? understanding the character of Hulk and understanding the journey he's on. Yeah, that is still, and we're like, what, 15 films from that at this point. That is still such an iconic moment when he turns into the Hulk in that moment and punches the whatever the hell it was. Right. It works because beyond the character, that line, that's my secret. I'm always angry is so relatable and connects with so many people that struggle with whether it's anger or anxiety or just any sort of internal conflict yeah. That is just such a perfect encapsulation of what that feels like. It really is. You're just, you're always living with it. You're always living with it. And that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. It, it's great. So yeah, I don't want to shit all over Infinity War and Endgame. I love Infinity War to a lesser extent. I love Endgame. So I, I still think they're great. 
it's just certain characters just got short shrifted and it, it, it's just unfortunate. And I think that's unfortunately kind of inevitable when you do do these giant team ups, especially when you're having Infinity War and Endgame, particularly Endgame, where there are dozens of characters all trying to get some amount of screen time. And so how do you how do you make that work? Inevitably, one character will have to fall to the wayside. Right. For the I mean, most I think part, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I it, and it makes sense. I mean, the Russo brothers are interested in Captain America and Iron Man. I mean, it's obvious from those two movies, and it's obvious from their previous movies. Like, it, they're they're kind of telling their story within the story. Um, it, it, in a way, like that makes Infinity War a better sequel to uh, Civil War and Winter Soldier than it does to any of the Avengers movies because they're kind of in their own little MCU space telling their own MCU story. Right. They're the only filmmakers allowed to helm multiple films outside of Josh Whedon. They did four films. So they're the, they're the filmmakers that have been allowed to leave the most distinct stamp on the MCU outside of Josh Whedon and uh what's his fucking name i can't remember right now well a, a couple now because you have james uh, gunn doing guardians yeah, and, then, uh, and james gunn. john watts has been spider-man the whole time right so um, but yeah they're they're the they're the ones who have really like and and the writers i can't remember their writers but the writers uh they wrote all three captain america films infinity war endgame and Thor the Dark World, which no one would like to speak about because it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, their, their attempts to try to validate that movie throughout Infinity War and Endgame are just annoying. The, yeah. They're really annoying. Like, the way they pull in the, 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 um, the Dark World score, never mind the fact that the score from the first Thor and Ragnarok are both miles beyond. Yep. Um, uh, and then they, they have to go back to the Dark World um or the is that what it's called the dark world i don't even know i think they, they have dark. to go back they have to go back to that film and granted that's a pretty good scene i like seeing thor with his mom that get, that kind of gets me every time but but still it is kind of this annoying like hey, it's not so bad we wrote it it's not that bad it's like it's it's that bad guys it's it really that, that bad. bad and unfortunately it is a film that is technically important because it has an infinity stone in it so they kind of had to go back to it which is what is unfortunate yeah it's it's such a shit movie though my god i mean for a film talking about serialized storytelling for a film that actually has one of the key plot points that one of the key mcguffins an infinity stone in it it is so fucking boring yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, phase two, you start to see the seams, like, really badly. And that's kind of the movie where it's like, okay, we're just treading water here. No one knows what to do with Thor, um, other than the fact that he needs another movie between now and the other, than the next Avengers movie. Like, oh my god, you guys. <laughs> the Lord for Taika Waititi for coming in and saving that character. 
Right. Like, it, it, like yeah, like Taika Waititi, you know, it, as much as it has his personal stamp on it, it's also, uh, you know, I'm not a huge, I'm, I don't read tons of Thor comics either, but like that kind of captures the spirit of more like Thor's comics are really fucking weird. And that like captures that spirit. Yeah. Like, like it's like no one could figure out how to do that until they brought Taika in. Yeah, because, I mean, they first did it, you know, they had Kenneth Branagh, and they're like, okay, we're going to go for this Shakespearean vibe, and that worked, but then it was like, okay, well, where do we go from there? And they kind of just repeated it again with the Dark World, and it was like, well, he kind of already advanced beyond this in the yeah. Thor movie and continued in Avengers, and now you're just stalled. Yeah, it's like nobody nobody bothered to try to advance it or to do anything more interesting. Although, I'd be curious to see what Patty Jenkins had up her sleeve for a Thor film. Yeah, but, absolutely. Especially given what we saw with Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, was a, that was a loss. Edgar Wright was a loss, too, yeah. on Ant-Man. I mean, I like, um, I like Ant-Man, and you can still see his fingerprints all over that movie. I like, yeah, I like them. All right. They're, they're both kind of all right. They're both just kind of there for me. Um, as much as I love Paul Rudd and I love him basically in, in all of the movies, I think he's great as, as the character. Um, it, it's just kind of, yeah, they're there. Um, I, I should probably say this. Cause like I, I said that the dark world is terrible. I don't think any of the MCU movies are really terrible. Like, at worst, the Dark World is boring. And that's about the worst you got. Yeah, it's still a well-acted movie. It's still a well-shot movie. There are some decent laughs in it, but it just... It's a movie that's spinning its wheels. Yeah. It, it's it's really boring. I, I For for the longest time, I, I you know, like... I saw it. I think I bootlegged it on, on online or whatever. Um, and for whatever reason, it didn't have the subtitles for the dark elf character. So it was just whatever nonsense language they're speaking. And I was like thinking as I'm watching it, maybe this movie's better if I actually understand what they're saying. And then when I finally saw it on DVD and read the subtitles, I'm like, no, like I didn't need to read these. This doesn't add anything. No, you don't get any understanding of what the ether is or what that infinity stone does. Apparently, it was the reality stone. Why didn't they use that in any capacity in that film? That could have been interesting. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, I kind of compare it to what I finally saw, Attack of the Clones, after I watched Revenge of, the, Revenge of the Sith, thinking, okay, well, maybe the stuff that didn't make sense in Revenge of the Sith will make sense now. And like, I literally spent two hours waiting for Attack of the Clones to start. And then all of a sudden, the movie's over. I'm like, that, that was a movie? Like, it was like, okay, well, the, the stuff in Revenge of the Sith still doesn't make sense, and now we have an entire movie here that just is people treading water. And that's what the Dark World is, people treading water. Yep. Um, you've said, and I agree, that Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the saving graces of, of Phase 2. But even there, that film has scenes that show how not to do serialized storytelling because anytime there's a scene with Thanos in that movie and any discussion of infinity stones, the movie just 
stops in its tracks. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, no one is going to praise that film for its plot. It's, it's, it's an entirely character-driven piece. The reason people love it so much, the reason I love it so much, is because the, the five Guardians of the Galaxy, the five main characters, are drawn so well, and they play off each other so well, that you can, you can basically put them in anything, and it would have been beloved, because they're, they're just great characters. It's, it's like the definition of character-driven. Yeah, and even more so, uh, that's true in Volume 2. And I know some people are like, oh, Volume 2 isn't as good. But it absolutely is not at even... At, it's better. It's absolutely better. Because it doesn't have that issue of trying to seed in Thanos and seed in Infinity Stones. Like, it is just purely focused on these characters and really digging into them emotionally. And it is so freaking good. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the superior Guardians of the Galaxy film. Easily. And I think that is when the MCU is at its best, is when it's focused on characters. A lot of people I know will get hung up on the plots on movies and be like, oh, well, the plot isn't very good. I'm like, I don't care about the plot. As long as the characters are interesting, the plot could be about anything. It doesn't matter to me. And right, it's the whole, it's the whole, there's, you know, there's maybe one or two or three or however many stories there are, they've all been told. It's, it's how you tell it. It's the journey you get to, to, to get there. Um, and a huge part of that is character. And that volume two has so much character and so much heart that in Thor Ragnarok are, I think are are the strongest films in terms of of humor and emotion and character. And I don't think enough people really put them that high on the list because they are funny, silly films. So it's easier to be like, oh, well, you know, Winter Soldier, man, it's such a deep, dark film. Like, well, it is. But there's not a lot of real depth to it. No, no. And it's, it's still, it's a great character piece for, uh, for Captain America, which makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it works great as sort of this spy thriller. And I, I really do love when the MCU does go on these sort of genre, genre larks, uh, Ant-Man, I know you said you're not a huge fan of it, but I like it in the sense that it's a heist movie with a superhero. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, M the MCU does a pretty good job of uh, finding the genre that each of their heroes should be in, like within this whole superhero milieu. So you have Ant-Man films, which are heist films, and Captain America films, which are like these weird spy thrillers, and, and uh, uh, Iron Man, which is a little more techie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like pure space opera. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should probably wrap up before we start talking for like another hour like we did last week. Um, but... But moving forward, I think it's going to start getting problematic because 
not only do you have to follow the films, but now we have all these series that are showing up on Disney Plus. And up to this point, the shows that had been on Netflix, like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, or the show that was on ABC, or the shows that were on ABC, Agent, Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you didn't have to watch them to get the overarching arching story. And they were actually pretty self-contained series. Moving forward, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think it's going to start feeling like homework for a lot of people. Right. I think um, what annoys me about all those series being announced, uh, well, I think the big thing is I want to see these characters in their own films. And this feels like second-class citizen, second-tier character kind of relegating and also, if you want to look at it this way, I'm not saying it's you necessarily should look at it this way, but for all the crowing Marvel does about diversity and inclusiveness in their films, all of their quote-unquote diverse characters, with the exception of, like, Shang-Chi, are getting shoved into um, series. Yeah. If you really want to look at it that way, like, the new black Captain America gets a TV series, not a film. Um... Uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the Middle Eastern female character gets a TV series, not a film. Meanwhile, all the white people get films. What, right. Whatever. That might not be intentional. That's reading stuff into it. Um, but it, 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 it it's, yeah, I, I don't, I want a She-Hulk film. I want a Ms. Marvel film. I want a Moon Knight film. I don't really want to sit through a series of them. Right. Uh, and I, I mean, I just saw an article saying that, especially given the, what's been happening with the pandemic, that film could be dying. And with the rise of all these streaming services and binging, that television is starting to take over in terms of like quality. And so maybe there is going to be this transition over to series. But if you're not into watching series, then because you, you're not really into watching like TV series, then no you kind of get lost. Yeah. Like, serialized drama exhausts me. Just having to... Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Like, the, the the series that I've enjoyed, like, say, Firefly, which is a Joss Whedon series, yes, it's telling a one whole story, but it does kind of have these, you know, it still functions more as a series where you can tune into any episode and get hints of the bigger story, but you're still telling a contained story within that episode. Um, I can't stand television that asks me to come back every week to watch this ongoing story with, like, nothing inside it. But, yeah, it just it drives me nuts. I don't need my TV series to tell one big overarching story in a season. I, I prefer it didn't, actually, because I'm not I don't have the energy to do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do enjoy watching uh, the series, but like I've been, I watched Supergirl. I, I didn't get in, invested in all of the other series because it's just too much and it's too exhausting. But the problem is they do tend to tell good, interesting, overarching stories, but the old format that a series in the U S at least has to have 26 episodes you wind up having filler episodes and you wind up stretching the plot for far too long when you could probably wind up telling the plot in like 12 episodes which is usually what happens in a netflix series or whatever streaming platform 
they'll do a series in like 12 episodes and there'll be 12 really solid episodes. Sure. I mean, there's something to be said for that economy of scale for just, you know, being forced to tell your story in a couple hours. Um, it's good that these Marvel series are only going to be like whatever, six episodes or whatever. But even still, I think force them to make a two hour movie and you get something even better, I think. Yeah, and I I do agree to a, an extent that, you know, I would love to have a She-Hulk movie. But you could also... There's also a lot that could be explored with She-Hulk, especially since she's an attorney. So the idea of, like, a law show that just happens to star She-Hulk is kind of hilarious to me. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but that as a concept would be fucking hilarious. yeah. Like, a cartroom series with She-Hulk. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it could be fun. I think these shows could be fun. But I think this is where I get off. Because I'm not going to pay through Disney+. Plus um, Unless they release these on DVD, I'm probably not going to follow them. Um, again, it, it's just it's too much work. It's, it's a different ask. It's uh, asking people to just, you know, sit down and plunk down money for one movie and just watch a movie is a lot different than asking them to subscribe to something where they have to pay for it monthly and then wait for episodes to come out. It's, it's a, you're asking a lot more of your audience and uh, I'm not prepared to do it. So, And for people who are like fully invested and completely in for it, that's great. But there are a lot of people who are more casual viewers that, maybe don't watch every film maybe they watch every other film and if you were if it's required viewing that's a problem if it's just like extra background content that's fine like with the loki series and the winter soldier series and the winter soldier and falcon series and the scarlet witch series if it's just background filler information that's fine but I do agree that not having a film for She-Hulk or Miss Marvel, uh, it's a missed opportunity because not everyone's going to get Disney Plus, and it's a disservice to those characters to just throw them on Disney Plus. Right. I think most of those shows are actually a missed opportunity. Um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, especially because Captain America's films were pretty popular, and people want to finish. People want to see how that story continues, even without, you know. Steve Rogers in it. So I think yeah. that's a missed opportunity. That's too. A missed opp- I think the Loki series, that makes sense because Loki's story is story arc is fi- finished in the films. And that is just side story. That makes sense. That's how those series should work because that yeah. is just extra material that if you're a fan of Loki, you can watch. That makes right. sense. Or the Hawkeye series. If you want more Hawkeye, great you have a hawkeye series but like for these major characters like winter soldier and falcon there's so much more demand for that as a film i think yeah oh my god who wants more of that fucking i hate hawkeye i hate him so much he should have died in endgame he should have died and I actually liked him in Ultron, but I just feel like they dropped the ball with him. And by the time they picked up the ball with him again, it was like, I don't care anymore. And this guy just, he's just an asshole. And he becomes even more of an asshole in Endgame. And it's just like, oh my God, just kill him. He sucks. He sucks. And then, of course, he lives. So, great. Yeah, I, 
I like Hawkeye fine. Uh, it's probably because I like Jeremy Renner, and he does a lot to sell the character. But I've read some Hawkeye, and he's much more interesting in the comic books. Uh, right. Especially because yeah. I believe in his current iteration, he's blind, which makes him a much more sympathetic and interesting character. And I've, wa- I've read some of the books where, and I forget her name, but there's a female Hawkeye, and I believe that's what the series is going to wow. be setting up. And the female Hawkeye is a great character in itself. So, I, yeah, I don't know. If it's going to be a series focused on Hawkeye training the, the female version, I think that's a, that's a good way to go with that character. Yeah, I guess. I think he's actually deaf in the comics. I'm not sure, though. That's what it is. Yeah, he's deaf, not blind. He's deaf. Yeah. Either way, um, it's, it makes the character more... Yeah. Something I have to say before we close, um, because you mentioned your favorite MCU movies. Spider-Man Homecoming is my favorite. Will always be my favorite, just because I love Spider-Man. And I love this version of Spider-Man in particular. And I think that movie is just great it, it nails it nails pretty much everything it tries to do um and michael keaton so yeah yeah and michael keaton uh easily <laughs> one of the the best villains and it's not even like he's super powered or anything but that scene in the in the freaking car is so fucking oh. good and the reveal oh my fucking god the reveal is so pitch perfect oh yeah yeah so good it's Little so, like, man. It is, you know, the MCU has tried to have their twists. Um, there's the Iron Man 3 twist, which I do like, but it is kind of just a gimmick and it's just a laugh. But that fucking twist in Homecoming is legitimately surprising and it's so good. And, and it works because it's such a Spider-Man twist. It's uh, it's so Spider-Man has always been based on, you know, all this awful shit happens to Peter and everything is usually connected in a very personal way. And in, in that way, it's it's perfect. It's just it's such a personal connection to Peter. And it's also a great continuation of the themes that the there's this kind of love hate relationship that Peter has with all of the villains and the villains have with him where. He's such a good guy that he doesn't want to leave Michael Keaton for dead. And because of that, there's a little bit of loyalty there where he doesn't give up Spider-Man's name to Scorpion. Right. Yeah. Which is great. Which that is kind of a dynamic even going back between Spider-Man and Green Goblin. There's always this sort of relationship where there's a f- friendship with the villains that are kind of conflicted. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We could keep going and I'm sure we will keep going <laughs> in yeah. other episodes, but this is a good jumping off point I think for further MCU discussions later on. Yeah. So, we're we're still broke and we're still nerds and, and it's like a million degrees and I'm melting, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 